With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 286 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us today. We are in the midst of the Mets, uh, not quite West Coast road trip, but the uh, sort of mountain time road trip here. And uh, I'm recording this on Thursday morning, but on Wednesday night, I spoke with Chris McShane about the last week or so of Mets baseball. And... uh, how he is more pessimistic than he's ever been as a Mets fan. Not the, uh, it's not the Chris McShane I know. I don't know what happened to him, but here's that conversation. Well, Chris, the uh, the Mets have had a, a relatively decent week since the last podcast. They split the series with the Diamondbacks, two games apiece. We saw uh, Brandon Nimmo with some theatrics on Father's Day to win the game for the Mets. Uh, they have so far split the series with the Rockies. We are in the we're recording this in the midst of the third game. The Mets are currently leading. Is it still eight six? It is. And uh, you know, think things maybe don't look quite as bleak as they did a week or so ago. Um, don't 
plan the ticker tape parade just yet. But, you know, th things have been reasonably uh, okay for the Mets in the past week. So I guess before we start getting into anything specific, how are you feeling about the team at this point? And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I, I want our listeners to hear sort of where you're standing with the team uh, right now on uh, June 20th. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I'm at a point where I'm like, do I have to watch this game? And if if I'm saying that, uh, that's not a good sign. So, yeah, I, it's just, I don't even know where to begin, but it's just well, everything. What is it that that's, that's so, because, you know, I, I podcasted with you for the entirety of last season. Right. And there were stretches that looked this bad or worse last season. What is it about this particular stretch that has you so hopeless? Uh, just that everything went wrong with what they did in the offseason. Uh, you know, what, Todd Frazier has been the best outcome and he's been okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just the, the, the combination of the fact that all the players that they brought in uh, have just been so bad or hurt or both. Uh, you know, that combined with the fact that they, uh, and we were critical of it at the time, I think, but they went out and touted this new medical approach and we hired a guy and then, you know, three months almost into the season, there is no tangible effect of guy who was hired, you know, being part of the organization. Uh, you know, the team is still doing things. And I just, I, I like, I feel like I've run out of patience you know, I've, I've tried to uh, have a lot of it and, you know, give the team the benefit of the doubt in a lot of situations. And, you know, there's plenty of uh, folks on Mets Twitter who, you know, have harped on things like not DLing guys fast enough and not having enough depth, you know, and all that. Like, those have been the main points of criticism, uh, you know, but I think I've, I maintain some sort of optimism or maybe something a little more in between um just going back i still feel like 2015 and 16 don't get proper respect uh for being two seasons that they went to the postseason you know one of which they went a pennant and come up uh you know short in the world series but that it's not the ideal outcome but it's a pretty damn good season and a good time and then you know, go back and yeah, they dealt with injuries in 2016, but they they make it as a wild card and they lose a very tight, close game, uh, very late in the game. And it, so, uh, you come off that. I I felt like I was more willing, I think, than the average Mets fan on the internet to you know give them a little more rope and. Oh, wow, the Mets are losing now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, but, Who you know, give them the home run. Uh, Gazelman. Oh, boy. Okay. But give them a little more rope, and, and I don't know. Uh, not that last year was uh, all brand new material in terms of what went wrong, <laughs> but the patience has run out, uh, you know, and, and we can get into some details of. Uh, of individuals who have contributed to that. But just as the example, you know, Jay Bruce clearly hurt 
you know, you go back to spring training and he describes mild plantar fasciitis or fasciitis. Um, and that sounded like, well, is that a, is that a thing? <laughs> is it possible yeah. for that to be mild? And, you know, you, you've heard some references to it and he's just been terrible. And then, you know, he has some back pain and now we know it's a hip thing uh, that was probably causing the back pain. And you just look at it and you go, like, what are they doing? Are they just so far down this road that they're not capable of learning? You know, they went, I think it was, and I'll admit I have not tuned in for every inning of every game over the last week. Uh, but I think they went three full games where Bruce was on the roster but not available to do anything in the game. That sounds about right. And that's 30% of a DL stint. Just put the guy on the DL. And then, like, you couldn't write it any better. Then he plays one game. He's hurt. Uh, I don't know if it's worse. but he's And then he's hurt to the point that, oh, yeah, he's got to go on the DL. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> they went on their own television network to tout a new approach to health, and they did that. And that's just one example. Like I, I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I'm. I'm out of patience. I'm not like. I, I think because we all know what the next step is. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not dying for them to fire Sandy Alderson today. You know, if I, if if I thought they might bring in a whole new front office that could assess the situation and convince ownership to spend a little more money or a lot more money and and go about it that way, I might be itching for that, but. I'm not because we know it's just going to be more of the same. Well, that that's kind of where, where my frustration lies at this point. I think if anything, the Mets front office decision, like if, if they were to shit can Sandy Alderson and co the group they'd bring in, I would think they would, you know, they would want to take the, you know, we don't bring in a new guy in the same mold as the old guy. So I think they would go, running in the opposite direction of the analytics, which seems crazy, but this is the Wilpons we're talking about. And I don't want a less analytical front office. I want a more analytical front office. And uh, I don't see the Wilpons hiring someone like that. Right. Yeah, I, I think that in some ways Alderson was... You know, can be like a, a a wolf in sheep's clothing because he is an analytical guy, but he doesn't talk like one. You know what I'm saying? Like he he can sort of sneak in that stuff because when you when you hear him speak, he doesn't he doesn't sound like your typical sabermetric thinker. Um, right now, and I, I think that's why the Wilpons probably put up with him in that way because they. You know, I can't imagine a less enlightened ownership group than the uh, the Wilpon Katz family. So, um, you know, if they're going to fire Alderson, what are you going to get in this place? Right. I, I don't think it's going to be a drastic improvement. No, no. And uh, I don't think that anybody's going to convince the Wilpons to spend more money. Right. Unless it's Major League Baseball. And I don't think that's happening either. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. So, so yeah, it's um, it is it is certainly depressing right now. Although I have to say, you know, there are some positives happening 
in front of us. Um, Allison and I talked last week, obviously, about Nimmo and a little bit about DeGrom. But I, I think maybe somebody whose uh, contributions have gone a little bit under-noticed, and, and he's certainly not the second coming of Johnny Bench or anything like that, but I think Mezzarocco has been a, a pleasant surprise so far. I, I think he's been hitting a little bit better than people expected, especially with his power. I think he's been calling a decent game. And it's just nice to have someone catching who who seems more sure of his game calling than Plowecki does. Um, I also think, you know, there's been... Uh, there have been some, some signs of improvement from Rosario, uh, just in terms of approach more than anything else at the plate. Um, and, you know, tonight aside, Ligo and Gazelman continue to be pretty pretty good, you know. Uh, so there are the bones of a team here that I think could make a, could make a run, you know, uh, at a wild card spot. But the way they've been handling the injuries has been so asinine that I don't think they're going to have enough health to, to get there. Yeah, and it's a combination of that and then just not having guys who are capable uh, available to replace somebody, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was I was very big this off season on touting, specifically towards the end of the off season, how deep the Mets bench was, and that seems to have totally evaporated. Yeah, just gone. Yeah. Uh, Jose Reyes is still playing, and and I have to, I have to give credit where credit is due. The last week he's been taking much better at bats. But that doesn't mean I want him on my team <laughs> ever again. Right. Uh, you know, but you know, he's essentially a wasted roster spot. I, I think it's quite frustrating to see all the bullpen arms the Mets got in their trades last season and how few of them have amounted to anything thus far. Um, you know, not that you can go back in time and redo trades, but, you know, this is, if this was the best the Mets could get, for Granderson, Bruce, etc., that's a really a, a sad state on what they were able to, to bring in. Because, I mean, Raim has looked okay in times. at times. Has anybody else really impressed? Not yet. I mean, a few of the guys haven't really gotten much of a chance um, that they haven't with the way the bullpen looks right now might speak for itself. Well, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, um... The short answer is no. I mean, I, there's some promise there with guy. Drew Smith is the guy who everybody wants called up. Right. I haven't seen enough of him uh, in person or on any kind of broadcast to have a strong opinion. But, you know, I know the stats are good. So, sure, I'm on board. Give him a shot. Um, and then Gerson Bautista, uh, you know, has some stuff that's exciting. But clearly it's not quite ready to translate to the major league level yet. Uh, you know, whether or not he ever gets that walk rate into a spot that it's workable at the major league level is kind of the question with him. But, but yeah, you know, just overall, uh, yeah. <laughs> that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Uh, it's just, it's just a, it's just a frustrating season. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, yeah. What have been some of the highlights for you of, of in terms of player performance? Anybody stand out to you? Um, 
Well, we already de- dedicated a whole episode to him, but uh, and it's, I mean, it's Nemo. Yeah, really is the short answer. Um, but other than that, other than that, I, I just uh, I don't know. There's no great answer. I mean, it, it's that like Nemo and Degrom have been awesome, and as Dribble Cabrera, I would, of all the things they did over the off season, one that was heavily criticized at the time was picking up his option. And you know, he's obviously cooled down a bit, but he's still been. Let me just fact check myself here before I say he's been amazing. But he's he's been a good. He's been player. their best offensive signing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I, you know, two hundred eighty-eight plate play appearances in. Uh, coming into tonight, uh, one and a half wins above replacement on Fangraphs at this point. You know, and you, you can't just go, oh, on pace and multiply it by two and a half or two and a quarter, you know, based on how much season is left. But if he does basically what he's been doing, which is really just right in line with, with what he's done as a Met this entire time at this point, uh, you know, mid-20s home runs, uh, the last two years, he had a 280 average. Right now, uh, as we speak, he has a 279 average. Uh, so that that's pretty consistent. His on base percentage in, in the mid 300s. Um, it's a little bit lower so far this year than that. Uh, you know, but the power has bounced back a little bit from last year. So you you just have this nice balance. Maybe one of the most consistent stretches of production for a Mets hitter in in quite a while. Yeah. Over these three years, so. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy who, uh, you know, from afar seems to be well-respected. Uh, you know, he, he started the whole helmet thing, the helmet removal after a home run thing. Uh, you know, it seems like a guy that I'm not saying they're going to get an amazing return. Uh, but unless things go really well and they get themselves back into the mix on their own, he seems like a guy who could be traded somewhere and, and you know bring in somebody who who has a chance uh not saying a top tier prospect or anything like that but just you know someone who might be able to help the Mets in 2019 and beyond right um one of the things I think we need to talk about is the fact that Dom Smith is starting his second game in left field tonight he sure is and so and with Jose Reyes at shortstop it's like they're taking the uh the challenge to make a bad defensive team personally and really <laughs> trying to outdo themselves. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this is insanity. Uh, Reyes over Rosario is, can be, can be couched in the conversation of, we want to give Rosario a day off. Right. And, and that's still kind of bullshit, but that's not, that's not terrible thinking to give a player a day off. Right. Two starts with Dom Smith in left field makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It, uh, like, it, you're at a point that you're just going, like, what? Seriously? <laughs> is this a um, is this an attempt at the Mets to just try and rig any possible value out of him and just see if this is a possibility because they don't think he's going to stick at first base? I guess so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's just... And when you're at a point that you have... Uh, 
what's his name? Jose Bautista on the roster. Yeah. Like, why are you not just? And I know people freak out over playing the veteran over the uh, the you know the rookie or almost rookie. Um, but just play three outfielders in the outfield. Like, yeah. if you really want Smith to get time, give him the time at, at, at first base. I'm even slightly, and I'm, I'm using slightly in the uh, <laughs> with as many italics as you can put on a statement. I'm slightly more open to Flores playing left field. Yeah. <laughs> Again, slightly. But you're right. They have three healthy outfielders. Play those outfielders. I I, I just don't get it. I don't get what, what the value is in playing Flores over Smith at first if you want to give Smith playing time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got me, man. <laughs> it's a baffling fucking decision. Yeah, we're just in a spot, you know. I mean, Jose Reyes uh, now at this point of my stream, uh, you know, he's drawn a walk. He, he was intentionally walked earlier in the game. He hit a double that helped the team. Uh, he, he drew a walk now to load the bases. Um, you know, this is another cliche that I feel like, uh, and, and there's some of our friends on Mets Twitter, you know, we're, we're not like talking about the crazy uh, lunatic part of uh, that universe, but they've, you know, gone back to like, oh, Reyes had a good game. He's going to start for a month now or at least not get DFA'd, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, the the craziest thing to me and, you know, I think maybe there was um, – but people might have bought in more, myself included, in you know what style general manager Sandy Alderson was when they hired him. You know he's uh, a character in Moneyball who mm-hmm. you know ushers in this young guy who who looks at the game very differently and you know sort of hands over the reins of, of the team to him uh, eventually. So there may have been a little bit too much uh, reverence, I guess, for for that. You know, just this kind of forward thinking, uh, you know, kind of kind of guy. But um, it just doesn't feel that way anymore. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And of course, you know, we're never going to know the full extent of this story until I don't know. Fred Wilpon's dead. Like, I, I don't know when people start spilling the beans about how bad it really is. You, know, you hear rumblings here and there, but until there's a book written about this one day, we're never going to know just how handcuffed Alderson's hands are. And I you know, I truly believe that when he took this job, part of the deal was, like, you have to, uh, you have to be the fall guy here a little bit. You have to, you have to be the adult in the room here. And that's got to be exhausting do that for a season let alone is this his eighth season with the Mets now seventh uh was it 2010 no after 10 so 11 okay yeah the funny timing of it all was I think that I started writing for Amazing Avenue in the same month that he started as general manager of of the Mets yeah (laughs) I don't know if I should attach that to uh whenever his (laughs) tenure ends (laughs) <laughs> uh but yeah like oh i i i wrote and edited and uh managed a mets 
website strictly from the day Sandy Alderson was hired until he was fired. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's and and just to to bring it back to Reyes with the I kind of did what I usually do and went on a little tangent there, but. You know, you, you hear him and you hear the rest of the front office and you hear it come from Mickey Calloway, where the complete opposite of the concept of Moneyball, uh, you know, is to say, oh, so-and-so had a good game and therefore we're going to, you know, give him more chances and draw conclusions and all that. And that's, you know, that's something they've done with Reyes, Um it's very much not it's not analytical at all it's like right. the the most anecdotal way of of looking at things and making decisions so <laughs> yeah it's just it's just bad um you know obviously if the mets come out of this uh this series splitting or taking the series from the rockies that, that looks good going into the weekend. But the Mets need... I mean, it, it's pretty drastic how good and then terrible the Mets were. So they, they, they need to be just... I, I, don't know, I don't know what... I don't know what needs to happen for me to feel even somewhat confident in their ability to, to stick around towards the end of the season. Do you think they need another... Eight to ten game winning streak. Do they yeah. need? Do they need? Uh, you know, to 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 finish June and July, ten games over five hundred. In terms of for those two months, you know, like what right, is it right. going to take? What is it going to take for us to feel like okay, this team can possibly still do something? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I legitimately don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not asking to be difficult. I, I really don't know what the answer is. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm at the point where I'm like, I'm ready to book things in October, which is, uh, I mean, in some Mets years from the get go, you don't even consider it. But you know, with with any chance, even if it's a small one, I, I tend to hesitate and be like, well, let's let's see how the summer goes. Uh, I'm I'm like ready. <laughs> let's book all of October. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just don't know. Is there, uh, is there anything that you're, you know, now that we're at the point where, where we're looking at, uh, at alternates, at alternatives to winning, is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to this season in terms of seeing a player get their, get their shot or in terms of, uh, you know, uh, some some storyline you're looking forward to. Like, is there anything at this point that you're looking forward to, if if the answer isn't winning for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think it's just the the guys who everybody's been kind of clamoring for lately. Uh, the Alonzo McNeil mm-hmm. combo, and you know that that could work itself out rather nicely. Um, you know, if Tom Smith goes on a tear and starts actually playing first base, then maybe that slows things down for Alonzo. But, you know, talking about Cabrera earlier being a guy who, at the very least, a contending team should want. Uh, you know, he goes and give McNeil a shot. At, uh, you know, just take literally just taking his role. Uh, 
you know, so that that's the kind of stuff that I would find interesting and exciting. Uh, and then it's just kind of seeing more from Conforto. Uh, you know, he's he had turned it on a little bit early in May, early to mid-May. Allison had written a, a good piece about, uh, at the time, he, Rosario, and Nimmo had all been enjoying success for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then Conforto went kind of back into a long down period and he's come out of it so you know you're looking at things that try to make you feel better about where this team is even just a year from today and Conforto getting back to the level that he was previously capable of would be an exciting thing so it it really is just I mean look maybe maybe they wind up winning this game tonight and going on a eight to ten game winning streak and all of a sudden they're right back in uh, you know, the mix for everything. But in the likelier scenario that they don't do that, uh, it, it's just sort of the standard thing, shifting back to, uh, you know, young players, seeing what you've got. And, you know, if, if Conforto and Nimmo are really good, and if even one of Alonzo or McNeil is really good, uh, I think that starts to change how you feel about you know, how long it'll take the team to be competitive again. So, yeah, that's it. that. And then I would just like to watch Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard pitch in a Mets uniform until they decide that their major league playing careers are over. So, um, you know, just a little small ask on that one. Oh, another, <laughs> another run against the Mets. Lovely. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, I, I, I'm going to echo what you say. I, what you said, rather. I, I think that the Alonzo McNeil thing is interesting. The Drew Smith thing is interesting. Um. Aside from that, you know, if Nimmo and Conforto can establish themselves as serious major league hitters over the course of an entire season. That gives me some hope because between Cespedes and Bruce, you hope one of them is a major league after the next season. Right. And and then all of a sudden, the outfield is set for next year. And you figure if Rosario and uh, and Frazier look all right for the rest of the year, well, that's half the infield then that's set for next year. And, well, you know, unless they sign Manny Machado. But, um... well, yes, but, <laughs> you know... Uh, Right, the Machado Harper offseason that we're all yes, that we're all totally expecting. expecting. Yes, exactly. Um, and you know, if Allison and I last week both advocated for potentially signing Mesoraco now for an extension for next season, because I don't think the Mets have an internal option of catcher that's better than him. Um, you know, if you can sort that out a little bit, well, that's looking okay for next year. I don't think the Mets are in such a position unless they go and trade. DeGrom or Syndergaard, which I still don't see happening. I don't think the Mets are in such a dire position that they couldn't compete again next year. The problem is their plan for next year is likely going to look the same as their plan for this year, or very similar to their plan for this year. And this didn't work. So, I don't see, you know, I don't see how just hoping for better luck is a plan. Yeah. Huh. Me neither, man. <laughs> this is definitely the bleakest I've ever heard you as a Mets fan. Yeah, yeah, it's 
things are that bad. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like it's off brand for me to, you know, to not be saying, well, hey, look, you know, they're only, what, seven and a half games out of the division and it's only June. Those things are still true. Uh, but it's just the longer we go without seeing Syndergaard pitch because of the finger injury, um, and, and the more it sounds like they entertain the notion of trading Jacob DeGrom, it's just not a fun time, you know? Um, yep. Maybe maybe it'll change. I would love for it to change. Uh, if not, uh, and again, the uh, the planning of the podcast on the podcast, but... You might hear a lot more themed episodes about a thing or a player or a topic or, you know, whatever. Um, Because if we have to just commiserate on how bad they are, then, uh, you know. Then no one's going to want to listen. Right. And and the the best part of all this is that they've probably had their best stretch uh, of any five-game stretch since, I don't know. uh, Early May? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I feel like the last time they were in decent shape was when I was in San Diego and you know saw them win two out of three games against the Padres. That felt sort of like all right, they won a series. You know, they started really hot, um, then they lost a few series in a row. It happens, and then they won a series, and okay, great. And then since then, it's just been a nightmare. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could counter that argument. I really do. Uh, and like you said, they could go on a tear and make all this look silly. Please do that, Mets. Please do that. Hey everyone, this is Steve Seiper, and I'm back to go for our Money League Plays of the Week. We just finished Week 10 now, which went from June 10th to June 16th, and the Las Vegas 51s went 2-4, and four, which puts them at 28-41 and 41 for the season, 12 games behind the Salt Lake Bees for first place. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 1-5, and five, which puts them at 34-33 and 33 for the year, which is 5 games behind the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. St. Lucie went 4-3 and three, and are 27-36. and 36 which means they've already been eliminated for the first half. And that means that the Palm Beach Cardinals have a commanding lead over them and pretty much everybody else. Uh, The Jupiter Hammerheads are actually the only team that hasn't been eliminated. The Columbia Fireflies are at even 33-33, and and they went 3-4 and over the past week. And like St. Lucie, they've already been eliminated from first-half contention. And they are five and a half games behind the Rome Braves. And finally, the Cyclones started their season, and they are one and one after a road loss against Staten Island on Friday, and then a home win against them on Saturday. So our pitcher of the week is Binghamton Rumble Ponies right-hander Justin Dunn. Dunn made two starts this week, and he combined to pitch 13 innings, giving up one earned run on eight hits, walking eight, and striking out 12. His first start came against the Trenton Thunder, and he pitched seven scoreless innings, allowing two hits, walking four, and striking out nine. And in his second start, which came against the Hartford Yard Goats, he allowed one run on six hits, walking four, and striking out three. So all in all, nothing really drastic has changed about Dunn since the Mets drafted him in 2016, two years ago. 
Back then, the fastball sat in the low to mid-90s. The fastball sits in the low to mid-90s. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. The stadium gun in Trenton was showing him throwing like 88, 89 miles per hour. And that got me a little worried. But Jared from Baseball Prospectus, he let me know that the stadium gun uh, was a little off. It was a couple of miles per hour slow. And Dunn was actually sitting low 90s, which is where he should be. So yeah, the fastball is about the same. The slider, he threw a good slider, flashed, you know, above average a better or so back then, and still does. Nothing has changed. Um, he's toyed around with the third pitch, but he didn't really have one, and that's still the case. He's been mixing in a few curveballs, a few change-ups, but he just doesn't use them enough to really matter. Uh, I think he threw exactly one change-up in the start that I saw him at Trenton. He got a swing and a miss on it. It was, you know, dropped down out of the zone, but it was one pitch. And that's basically the biggest problem we've done right now. It's a lack of a stronger third pitch. You can get by in college throwing 95 with a good slider. You can get by in the low levels of the minor league throwing 95 with a good slider. But against top-level competition in AA and the majors, not so much. When guys don't have, you know, the stamina or the stuff to go through a lineup two, three times, you know what we call them? Relievers. Combine that with the fact that Dunn's command just hasn't been the best since day one. It still isn't the best, and it'll probably never be. And now what? I'm not saying that Dunn should be shunted into the bullpen, uh, you know, ASAP. Although, if he was, he could probably be called up right now and still be the best reliever on the Mets outside of Familia. But it's a little concerning. Um, Jonathan Loisiga, who was the guy that he matched up against uh, when I saw him at Tretton, he literally got called to the majors for his next start. And while it wasn't the prettiest pitching line, he did blank Tampa Bay for five innings. Not the best team, but they are, you know, a legit major league team. Does anyone have faith that Justin Dunn could do that? I mean, he could. Sometimes his stuff is really electric. But there's not too much consistency. And for a guy that's a first-round draftee and has been a professional for two years, you'd want to see a little more consistency. And a third pitch. And now, our hitter of the week. Let me preface this by saying, last week was an extremely bad week for the system when it comes to hitters. Okay? So, our minor league hitter of the week logged six hits, although half of them were extra base hits. The minor league hitter of the week only played in three games. The minor league hitter of the week isn't even a minor leaguer, technically. The minor league hitter of the week is Wilma Flores, who is uh, doing a rehab stint. And he went 6 or 11 with two doubles and a home run. So I'm not really sure what there is to say. So those are our minor league players of the week for week 10. The Brooklyn Cyclones, the Kingsport Mets, and the GCO Mets, they're all going to be starting to play next week. So the farm system is going to be going at 100 from this point now until the end of the season. So hopefully we get some more exciting hitting and pitching performances out of it. Hi, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and I am recording this on a Wednesday afternoon after the Mets lost 10-8 to the Rockies on Tuesday night, a game that wasn't really that close. We saw Jason Vargas allow a ridiculous amount of home runs, including three in a row at one point, and it just got uh, out of hand. It just escalated quickly. The Mets uh, looked like they were going to score some runs. They got out to... An early lead. They ended up tying the score at two, but 
the Rockies were just too much. Nolan Arenado was fantastic, and uh, Jason Vargas was really bad, and you have to wonder uh, if uh, if he's fighting for his rotation spot at this point. Uh, the Mets have been constantly managing their rotation all year. They've been pushing some guys back. They've been slotting other guys in, but Jason Vargas has to be at the bottom of the totem pole at this point. So we'll see where the Mets go from here. Noah Syndergaard doesn't seem that close to returning as a mild injury has Shockingly turned into something greater than that, so we'll see what the Mets do going forward, but still, even with the way Vargas has pitched, the rotation has been a strong point for this team that struggled to score runs, even though they usually have a, the lineup usually looks decent on paper, with especially with the way Nimmo's playing, as Drupal Cabrera looks like he's pulling out of his slump that has been going on for a couple weeks. Michael Conforto's been playing better lately. Todd Frazier has not been playing better lately as on Tuesday night. We saw he was up in a key spot and he kind of let a flat, a fat slider over the plate for a strike and then made a weak ground out on the next pitch on a uh, at bat that he could have used to get the Mets back in the game. So, uh, so that was disappointing. And if Frazier was playing more like he was the beginning of the year. This would lineup would uh, look a lot better, but they have been scoring runs lately, although maybe it's just Colorado. We don't know. What we do know is that the trade deadline is coming up in a little more than a month, so the Mets have to decide what they're going to do in this upcoming homestand against the Dodgers and, I believe, Pittsburgh after the Mets are through in Denver is going to be very important because every game coming up is going, if the Mets lose, People are going to say they have to sell, and if the Mets win, we are going to say, hey, maybe they can put a push together, although it's looking tough because they're already more than five games out in the wild card. As uh, as that situation, it looked like it was going to be a soft wild card hunt coming into the year, but the way things have developed with the Brewers and the Braves and Diamondbacks and the Dodgers are, get, are uh, rounding into form, it is looking like... It's going to be a much tougher road, and uh, and the Mets are on the outside looking in. Even if Noah Syndergaard comes back and DeGrom continues pitching amazingly, it's just going to be tough to make up with all the ground that they've lost with their struggles in, uh, in, uh, or in May and June. So it's going to be interesting. One name that could get moved is Estrubal Cabrera, Hopefully he picks up his play, starts playing like an all-star again. And he's something that maybe the Mets could get something for. But as far as a major rebuild, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's uh, The Mets have, have uh, stayed away from just totally tearing down their organization for years. So it would be shocking if they went ahead and moved to Grom and Syndergaard. They say they're listening to offers, but... Uh, actions speak louder than words in this situation. We, we've heard the Yankees, and certainly the Yankee fans, don't want to give up Gliber Torres. So if other teams are like that, the, the trade with the Yankees wouldn't happen anyway. So you'd really, really, uh, what reporters should be doing is focusing on maybe other spots where, where actually a trade realistically could happen. Because you know, let's say even if the Mets and the Yankees had a rich history of trading, if the Yankees aren't going to give up their guy Torres, then it's probably not going to happen anyway. So. I'd like to to, uh, to uh, see some more exploration of the trade market uh, besides the 
Mets-Yankees deal that would be a boon for local sports talk radio. I'd like to see some more realistic options pop up. I know the Brewers have been floated as a team that has some hitters in place, could really use some rotation help, and uh, that's a lot more realistic, especially since the Mets were so close to trading Wilmer Flores there for Carlos Gomez two years ago, or maybe that's the reason why it won't happen. That was three years ago now. How about that? Time flies when you're supposedly having fun watching the Mets. The point is, maybe the Brewers are spurned, although I'm trying to think if their new GM was in place by then, but maybe they're still upset by then. They won't trade with the Mets because I know some fans are upset that the Mets appeared to back out over the, at the last minute due to medicals. It obviously turned out to be a great thing for the Mets because Carlos Gomez is not the player that Ioannis Cespedes does, although at least he's on the field right now, and that's a whole other story. Uh, with the way uh, the Cespedes situation has developed. I know uh, a lot of writers on Amazing Avenue are always are backing up Cespedes and saying it doesn't matter if he talks to the media, but he is the team's best player. It would be nice to hear an update a little more often, but either way, I think the bigger question is whether he's or he really wants to come back from injury. He, he said... Uh, a couple weeks ago that, well, it doesn't matter because the team is playing so poorly right now, but as uh, the superstar that he is, you'd like to see you'd like him to see himself as the guy who can who can come in and spark something and turn this this uh, malaise around because he is such a talented player and it is baseball and it's always going to take more than one guy, but he's a really big factor and he has been ever since the Mets traded for him. So you just like to see more more uh, confidence from him as far as coming back and making a difference instead of, well, I don't know. Um, So that's why people are upset. Is it driving me absolutely crazy that Cespedes isn't out there? No. I just hope he's fully healthy when he he does get out there. We we saw the Mets uh, recently made a blunder with Jay Bruce, letting him just play on his multiple injuries. It doesn't look like the plantar fasciitis is going away anytime soon. The Mets didn't even put him on the DL with that. They listed the hip injury. So it looks like he's going to be playing for that that all season long. And hopefully something can happen in the offseason because that's just something that doesn't go away. Uh, the good news is it's probably going to be more at first base, depending on how Dominic Smith looks in this audition. And I think it is an audition with Jay Bruce hopefully not spending long in the disabled list and Pete Alonso not far behind in double-A. There is the whole Jeff McNeil factor. See someone could, who could provide a spark. There's uh, lots of non-cespitous, or at least a couple non-cespitous options the Mets have if they want to shake things up or continue to shake things up at the major league level. But that's just why it's not driving me crazy that Cespedes isn't coming back. The Mets should still have enough enough players at the disposal that if they start playing better and they can string some wins together, maybe make a competitive season out of this after all. But for now, Mets fans and, of course, the organization is grinding through this month of June. Hopefully, last night's loss was just a minor setback. They can get back to pounding the Rockies like they did on Monday night, starting on Wednesday at 8.40. And... uh, yeah, it's crossroads season. It, it really does uh, come down to the next couple of weeks, and we'll see what kind of trade deadline it is going to be for the New York Mets. So it's been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio.
morning, Amazing Avenue audio listeners. Um, Allison McCaig here with a new segment that we are calling the Nimometer and the Degrometer. Um, so I am the person that brings you the weekly performance meters on Amazing Avenue for both the position players and the pitchers. Um, and we figured it would be fun on the weekly podcast to bring you sort of a condensed version of the performance meters for our two favorite Mets right now, um, Jacob DeGrom and Brandon Nimmo. Um, so I'm going to review their performance over the past week and their season to date. Um, so Jacob deGrom is obviously on fire right now um, on, in, on Monday in Coors Field, which is a tough place to pitch, as Jason Vargas and Seth Lugo recently um, found out. Uh, he was unflappable and uh, pitched eight innings and only gave up five hits, one walk, one earned run, and he struck out seven and earned the win for the Mets. Um, on his season to date, he's had 15 starts with 95 and a third innings pitched, and he has a 1.51 ERA, a .99 whip, a 1.97 FIP, and a 5 uh, strikeout to walk ratio, which obviously are incredible numbers. Um, that's good for 3.9 Fangraphs WAR, which is second um, among pitchers, um, and 4.8 uh, Baseball Reference WAR, which is first among pitchers. Um, he's second only to Max. Scherzer um, and Fangraphs War, um, and he is continuing to build his case for the uh, NL Cy Young Award. Basically, it seems like he and Max Scherzer are fighting tooth and nail for it. Um, he is a guaranteed all-star at this point, um, and pretty much nothing can stop him. Speaking of people that nothing can stop... Brandon Nimmo. Um, this past week, he's had 34 plate appearances with 12 hits, four home runs, nine RBIs, two walks, and a blistering 225 WRC+. He, of course, hit the go-ahead two-run homer um, on, in Sunday's uh, game, and he hit two home runs, including leaning off the game with an inside-the-park home run uh, on Monday uh, in the 12-2 win against the Rockies. In that game, he went four for six with four RBIs in front of his hometown crowd and his family members, which was awesome to see. Um, on the season to date, he has 221 plate appearances, which now qualifies him for the batting title, just to keep in mind. Uh, he had not qualified before because he didn't have enough plate appearances, but just in the past few days, he has now qualified. Um, he is slashing 284, 407, 585, with 12 home runs, 38 runs scored, 24 RBIs, 7 stolen bases, all good for a 172 WRC+, plus, which is third among outfielders in Major League Baseball, behind only Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, which is pretty good company to keep, I'd say. Um, he has 2.7 FWAR on the season, which is seventh among outfielders, and 3.3 baseball reference WAR. Um, he is eighth in on-base percentage in Major League Baseball, and seventh in OPS in Major League Baseball, among all sorts of candidates like Trout and Betts and Freeman that are be being considered for MVP awards and all sorts of things. Um, consistently underrated. Uh, maybe finally he'll start to get some attention. Um, but in the meantime, I will continue to push Hashtag right in Nimmo. Right in Nimmo for the All-Star game. He got slighted. He didn't deserve to not be on the ballot. Um, but Mets fans can do their due diligence by writing him into the ballot. Um, and it turns out you get a nice ticket offer from the Mets for voting. So, And he's pretty much the only one worth voting for since we can't vote for pitchers. So um, hashtag write in Nimmo. Um, and I'll be uh, joining you soon for another um, installment of our new segment, the Degrometer and the Nimometer. Thanks for listening.
that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Please go to Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can also get the show from Stitcher, from your podcatcher of choice, or directly from our host, blogtalkradio.com. Please go to amazingavenue.com. Check out all of our Mets news, analysis, and more over there. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email the show, I think, still at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com, but we are getting a new email address. I promise, I promise, I promise. And you can follow all of the contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at Aaron P. York. Steve is at Steve Saipa. And Allison is at Petite PhD. Hopefully, by the next time we talk, the Mets have split the series with the, uh, with the Rockies, maybe won a series with the Dodgers. That would be lovely. And uh, hopefully we get no new injury news, or at least no bad injury news. Hopefully the Mets can start adding some players back soon. And we can uh, maybe salvage this season to at least something watchable. Because, uh, as Chris will note, it's been pretty bad lately. But, until next time, let's go Mets. Mets. <laughs>